Welcome to the Productive Inactivity Podcast, where we take your favorite topics and completely destroy their overworked narratives, create new unbiased narratives, and probably hurt your feelings in the process. But in the words of my old black babysitter Matilda, you gonna be all right. Again, welcome to the Productive Inactivity Podcast. Now, here's your host, Wayne Stevens. This is how I'm feeling today, y'all. This is how I'm feeling. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Look. I felt like that was too loud. But anyways... Welcome to the Productive Inactivity Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Steven. I thank you for joining me today. That was Thank You Come Again by my boy, Mr. No Play, a.k.a. Mr. Mr. Live from Augusta, Georgia. That's my guy. I love his music. He's so raw and gritty. Like, I'm all about just listening to what gives me that vibe, what gives me that feeling. I think a lot of people like to listen to music off popularity today and like don't really take the opportunity to dig deep because everybody's always talking about, oh, what's wrong with music today? It's this, this, and that. I don't know what everybody else talking about, but I always manage to find the dope music. Matter of fact, I was sitting with my daughter this morning. And the thing about my daughter is she thinks she's cool. Like I remember when I was her age, when I was 11, I thought I was cool too. Like I was like, oh, my parents, you know, they ain't up on this new Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. They don't know what's popping with this music. And I would always laugh when she would come to me. She like, maybe like a month ago, she came to me uh, and was like, hey dad, have you heard this song, Sicko Mode by this guy named Travis Scott? And I laughed my head off because I'm sitting here going, this girl thinks she cool. I was like, yes, I've heard the song. It's kind of dope. She was like, oh, it hasn't grown on me yet. But I figure I'll give it a few more listens. Now it's like her pregame. It's her pregame song when she getting ready for school. Like she'll get ready in the morning and all I hear is like that, that beginning of sicko mode or whatever. And she walking around, Millie rocking around the house and <laughs> And I laugh at it because, and I'm not laughing because I'm not accepting her cool. I am. But the fact of the matter is she thinks she's cool by swagger jacket. Like she literally, she looks in my closet. She looks how I dress. She looks at the different, you know, accessories in my house. Yes, I am a man who buys accessories, mad watches, you know, things that go with other things, uh, about 30 pairs of shoes, you know, and she will go try to replicate that, which I think is funny. Like, I will never not want my daughter to be like me or to emulate the things that are good in me. I don't want her to emulate any of the bad things, which is why I kind of avoid telling her all the stories. You know, she'll, and cause me and my wife went to college together. So, you know, we will talk about college days. We won't get like super graphic, but we won't be dishonest either. Unless I'm making up a story to make me look really, really good. Like I will do that from time to time to make myself look good in the eyes. I'm lying. I don't, I'm actually, the crazy thing is I'm lying about lying. (laughs) I tell stories all the time to make myself look like the man just to watch my wife make that Negro please face. But, um, speaking of stories, you know, my daughter's always like interested in my childhood because she knows where I grew up and how it is drastically different from where we live right now. And um, 
she, you know, she comes to me with like different, different topics. Like she'll be in school and she'll be like, dad, you know, this, this, and this happened today with this person. And, and like, for some reason, and this is legit, like I don't do it on purpose, but like, there's always like, I always have a story behind it. And like, I remember like a couple of years back, she started having conversations with me about drugs and stuff like that. And not that she was curious about drugs, but like, I guess they did something at the school and you know how they try to, they try to frighten you into not doing drugs instead of just kicking the facts, which is what I miss about, you know, growing up when I grew up, cause I, I'm an eighties baby. You know what I mean? I grew up during a time where everything was like so fresh and new and and, and sometimes not all the new was good. Like I literally remember when the crack epidemic hit Brooklyn, New York. Like it was just one of those things that came like a full blown hurricane storm because it, it one minute everything was okay. One minute everything was okay. And then the next minute things just weren't. Like people you used to look up to and people you you know you would you run up to them and and, and want to you know be a kid with and then you know shoot the small talk and all this like you now became scared of them because that drug had gripped them so much like i don't think people who live outside of that can really wrap their mind around it and and being so young and watching it like watching it unfold like it went from my neighborhood was very multicultural when i grew up like it was, it was very much black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you know, different forms of Middle Eastern. Like it was all in one big melting pot. Cause again, it is New York. But when the drugs came, you just started noticing everybody disappearing except for the black folks. Like they stayed, like they were in that neighborhood. And um, when I told my daughter this, she was like, I don't understand. And I, and I told her a story of a lady. We called her the plant lady because she used to be a teacher. Like she was like one of the most well-respected women in the neighborhood. But then like drugs got a hold of her and she started stealing plants and selling them to people on the block. And then she went from the plant lady to the meat lady because after she was, you know, the jig was up, she couldn't steal no more plants. She started like shoplifting meat. And like, I remember one day she came around with like this little mini book bag full of steaks. And I'm sitting on the porch and I'm like, yo, why she got a bag of meat? And then my mom gonna go buy three of them. I'm like, you seriously just sat here and bought duffel bag meat from this lady? But you know, those were the times and, and my daughter couldn't believe it. She's like, I wouldn't, I ain't buying no steak out of no book bag. Cause that's basically what you're telling me, dad. You, you, bought, you bought steak out of a book bag. I was like, I didn't, I didn't pay for the steak. I had no choice. Like when you were a kid and it's time to eat, you know, your parents buy some duffel bag meat. You just got to eat that. Like, you're not, you're not just going to turn your nose up at the duffel bag meat. Um, and But at the same time, like, you know, there, there were things that just were very endearing about the 80s that that even during all the tumultuousness and the, the upheaval and the violence, man, was there violence. Like, and when I break that down to my daughter, she can't wrap her mind around the kind of violence I'm talking about because... In, in right now, in her day and time, as an 11-year-old young lady, the, the most rough it gets is a possible shoving match between some girls 
and maybe a shoving match because girls don't even they don't even really you know it's not they don't like to get into the fisticuffs and the ruckus a little bit but what i'm noticing is that now like bullying the word itself it's become so trivial like a verbal thing like i remember sitting on the block and the fact that you know my parents namely you know they were involved in drugs or whatever um i say that tentatively because i don't know what my mom wants people to know but to be honest with you like that's that was my childhood that was a part of it and it's gonna get spoken on but you know when when other kids know that your your parents either one or both are doing drugs they use that like as a means of teasing it's like oh that's why your mom's a crackhead and it's like that was one of those things where it was just accepted that that was going to be a part of the joke on you when it came time to get jokes that's why i never initiated the jokes like there's kids now like you see them they run around and they pop off at the lip and the, the crazy thing about it is it's never the kids who can get teased back that start like it's always the like the kids who have it all so they just want to pick on people like those are the real bullies but in my day <laughs> The bully was the kid who, you know, they, they came up a little rougher. Maybe their parents were on welfare. Maybe not necessarily drugs. But, you know, maybe they had a couple of government cheese sandwiches in the lunchbox that they weren't too proud of. And I remember one day, like, I had a, oh, man, I flamed this kid. I thought I had some fire because he was getting me because he didn't use the crackhead joke yet, which surprised me because he, it was like a, like, that was the, the staple. Like, oh, that's why your mom's a crackhead. Like, at, after one point, I was just like, all right, whatever. I know it's coming. But he didn't use it yet. And I noticed he had these two thick government cheese sandwiches in his lunch. So I roasted him for the government cheese sandwiches. And then he hit me with it. Like he snatched the government cheese sandwich joke and coupled it with my mom being a crackhead. And it set the bus on fire. I was like, no, <laughs> how could this happen to me? I thought I had the game sewed up <laughs> with the government cheese jokes. I didn't. I got roasted, flamed, went down in flames. I think I might have even cried a little bit because of the way he delivered that joke. But either way, that even then wasn't bullying. Like the bullying when I was a kid was mad physical. Like you got punched in the face if you didn't have somebody in your corner. And because I was the only child for a long time and my little brother was like, when I was going through half the stuff I was going through as a kid, like when I was 11, my brother was three. So it's not like I had anybody to defend me, it was only me. So like literally middle school, like fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade was absolutely horrible. I hated it so much. Like there was just this group of kids who would constantly be at me. Like it didn't matter what it was. I, I didn't even have to be in the way. Like it was one of those things where they, like, they would just come find you. And I'm explaining this to my daughter she's like, Man, that sounds rough. I was like, you don't know the half of it. I was like, there was a there was a period in time where like you have to leave the house to go to the store. Like your parents always sent you to the store. I feel like in that day, parents only had kids to go send them to do stuff. So my mom would send me to the store and I would always like him and haw about it. Like she was like, boy, you taking too long. Hurry up and go to the store and go get these, you know, whatever it was. Now, where my block was, so in your mind, I want you to do this with me. If you, if you, as you're, as you're listening, I want you to do this with me. I want you to make a letter T, right? So I lived on the, the short cross on the T, that was 22nd Street. The 
long part of the T was Ditmas Avenue. Now, I want you to take the right side of the T and draw another line. So it kind of looks like a uppercase H, but with an extended stick. That was Newkirk. There were three grocery stores that I had the choice to go to. It was either on Flatbush Avenue, which would be the top part of the H, which would now make like kind of like an A. So the top part, that was Flatbush. There was a corner store over there. There was a corner store on Flatbush and Newkirk. That's two corner stores. There was another grocery store on Ditmas Avenue. All three of those locations were ripe with mad hooligans who just wanted to rob you. Like that was the day, like that was bullying. Like you, if you went to the store and you were a lone kid by yourself, you got robbed. It was, it was, I would say like a five out of 10 chance. So like I was explaining to Mackenzie, like when you have to walk to the grocery store, you gotta walk three blocks. Those are the three most perilous blocks you'll ever walk in your day. And you had to decide, do I wanna get ran up on by the Ditmas Avenue kids or do I wanna get ran up on by the Newkirk Avenue kids? If I wanted to choose neither, I would just keep going down 22nd Street with my money ball tight in my hand because I wasn't a big kid. And to be honest with you, at that age, I couldn't fight. So it really, it made no sense for me to try to pretend that I was brave when I really wasn't. I didn't get violent until about 14, but that's a whole nother story altogether. So I'm walking down 22nd Street, which that was like the last resort because at the end of 22nd Street was a dead end, but there was a tunnel that led to Flatbush Avenue. Inside that tunnel, it was like a walkthrough. I wouldn't call it a tunnel. I made it sound like a, a gopher hole or something. It was like a, uh, it was just like an alley, but it was covered and it was really dark. Man, I told you at that time, you know, crack was big. Sometimes you would, there'd be crackheads in the daytime smoking crack in the walkthrough tunnel. And I got my money balled in my hands. And sometimes, you know, in the 80s, not every pair of shorts had pockets. So you couldn't even put the money in your pocket or stuff it in your drawers. Or even the little, like if you had the beach shorts that had the little mesh pocket where the waistline is at. The, listen, if you was going to get robbed, all the robbers knew where you were going to stash that money. So I literally had to make business decisions every single day on what block I was going to walk down. Like, all right, how many Ditmas kids are out? Two. I think I'll go down Ditmas. I remember one day I made a right and decided to go up Newkirk and there was seven Newkirk kids out there. I was like, there's no way I'm going to the store on Newkirk because not only gonna, are they going to take my money, but they're definitely going to beat me up just for the sport because that's what Newkirk kids did. Like they were known for that. Newkirk kids, they was like, they fought in like pack hound mentality like I've never seen a Newkirk fight at that age I had never seen a fight on Newkirk that didn't have at least eight to like ten people involved at once it was that perilous as a kid now I'm an ex I'm explaining this to an 11 year old girl who is growing up in rural Pennsylvania who hasn't seen so much as a fist fight at elementary school now she's staring me down she's like dad I have way more questions than you think I have right now Hold on, I need to take a sip of this water. She said, Dad, I have way more questions than you think I have right now. Because uh, you mean to tell me every time you left the house, it was that perilous? I'm like, yeah. And she almost didn't believe me because I sometimes I be embellishing stories just for comedic factor because I like to make her laugh because she's at that age where like, she's like angsty. So like, you know, the I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. How you going to be a, a, a black emo kid? But 
you know, they, they got that emo attitude. And I'm like, man, you better get out of here. Your life ain't sad. You 11 and everything is free. You don't got to pay for nothing. But, um, so, I, you know, and we, we got past, you know, that whole bullying moment. So she understands what violence really is versus all of this talking nonsense that kids do these days to tease one another. But really, that's all it is, is teasing. So I remember one day, and, and all of these stem from dinner time stories. Listen, if I can encourage everybody out there, if you have time at dinner, talk to your kids about your childhood. You may think they don't want to hear it, but they do. Unless your childhood was boring, then don't talk about it because they already see you as boring and you might as well just talk about something else because not all parents are fun. Some of you guys are mad dry. I'm just keeping it real. Some parents try to be boring on purpose. Stop doing that. You're disconnecting yourself from your children. But I digress. She sat down one day and she's like, Dad, some boy in school tried to kiss me. I said, what? She's like, no, no, don't worry about it. I took care of it, you know, but let me ask you a question. And I knew where this was going. She's like, I remember you saying you were ugly when you were a kid. Did you run around just laying your lips on girls for no reason without asking permission and all this other stuff? I said, Mackenzie, first of all, your mother is the first woman I've ever loved and the only woman I've ever laid my lips on. Now I say things like that, just again, to watch my wife make the, oh my goodness, is he lying again face? Cause I do it all the time. And she's like, dad, I don't believe you because I know you be lying. And she said it just like that. And she's not even like a you be lying person. Like I said, she's growing up in rural Pennsylvania around all the whites. Where I live is very white. I mean, it's it's white. Like, there's no color here. It's a ream of white Xerox paper. And then you got me in there, the black border paper and my daughter who is the mix between the white and the black border paper. That is this extent of color in this area. So saying that to say, she's like, I know you be lying. So I was like, Mackenzie, first of all, when I was 11, no girls were checking for me uh, because I was skinny. My neck was really small. My dad kept me in the ugliest of haircuts and shoes. Listen, my dad's strategy when I was young, growing up in the 80s, was to keep me as non-cool as possible just so I could do better in school. And the reason I say that is because every time I wanted, like I remember one day I came home with a Gumby because my boy's brother cut my hair. I was like, yo, I'm tired of this. You know what I mean? I'm about to get this. I'm about to get the haircut that I want. So he gave me a Gumby and it looked really good. My mom was all ecstatic. She was like, oh boy, that's so pretty. Da -da -da, that's cute. Da -da 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 -da. My dad came home, he didn't say three words. He took me right to the barbershop and was like, yo, cut that off. And he cut it off, and, and, and I walk home, I'm like, dad, why did you, like, why did I have to get my hair cut? Like, I liked it. He was like, so you could act up in school and think it's all about you? I'm like, it's a haircut. And he was like, it's not a haircut. And I didn't get it until like maybe I was like 16. Like he was really trying to keep me from blending in. He wanted me to stand out because while everybody else had an S curl, which I also wanted, my dad fronted on me with the S curl. I wanted the S curl so bad, but he was teaching me a lesson by not giving me certain extravagances because I knew he could afford to buy me Nikes, but he was like, nah, I think I'm just gonna buy you these ugly Etonics that make your feet look big because you're not awkward enough 
So maybe if you don't think it's about you and you don't try to call attention to yourself, you'll actually pay attention in class. That is a weird logic to give to a kid who really just wants to fit in because I was already ostracized because my mom was on drugs and my clothes fit funny and I hadn't yet grown into my arms and legs. My neck was super skinny and I had this head on me that literally I looked like a spoon. Like, so he wasn't helping, but eventually it all worked out. But I'm just, I'm looking at my dad and I'm, I'm thinking like he's a tyrant. I'm like, bro, like help me out, <laughs> help me out. But like my parents got separated um, when I was 12. So once he was out of the house, I was a little freer to experiment with different things. Like my mom wanted, you know, my mom understood my desire to fit in. But at the same time, like I was always getting into like mischief. And the, the one thing that was a constant was, and people are gonna think this is ridiculous, but only if you grew up during this time will you, will you get this. We always had access to M80s. And if you don't know what an M80 is, it's a quarter stick of dynamite or whatever the fraction is. Again, I don't like to do math on the fly because I always sound like an imbecile. Like it, it never fails like I did just now. But M80s, like we would take these mini explosives and put them in people's exhaust pipes on the block. Now, if you're going to do mischief and this is just off the this is this is off, this isn't really off topic, but this is just, you know, for the record. If you're gonna do mischief, why on earth would you do it on the block you live on? Uh, it's beyond me. But we would take these M80s and we would put them in people's exhaust pipes. You light it and then you run away into the building you live in. And then you come back out 20 minutes later and you do it again to another car. Now the next day, when the nosy neighbor lady was like, who them boys running around blowing up people tailpipes and such? I know that ain't nobody but Pat's son. First of all, I have a name, uh, and it wasn't Pat's son. My name is Wayne, and no, it wasn't just me, but it's always easy to pick on the kid who's ugliest. I, that's serious, like that's really a thing in our society. Like everybody blamed everything on me. Every time somebody else's kid was bad, it was Wayne's fault. Like, granted, I was mischievous, like I said. Like, I remember this one time, we went to go play on the roof. All right, now in your mind, you're like, what? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, we played on the roof. The buildings were so close together that you could move from roof to roof. But at that time, you know, me and like, maybe like a handful of my friends were only doing it like because other people were like, they, I wasn't scared. But as I mentioned, me and my brother are seven years apart. And one day I decided to bring him up there. Now, not only were we on the roof, like just messing around and like the people who lived on the sixth floor of those buildings, like they would hear us stomping around on the roof. But we got chased off the roof one day by a homeless man. And OK, this is how it started. I lit an M80 and I threw it off the roof. Now, I don't know what you know about fuses, but they don't last very long. And the M80 hit the ground before it exploded in my mind though that's not how it was going to go in my mind it was going to blow up in midair and it was going to make this cool mist of smoke but that's not what happened it landed on the ground about 12 feet from a lady and then it blew up and all the kids on the roof said my name Ooh, Wayne, because for some reason that went very well and because I heard it frequently. Oh, not for nothing. I got snitched on a lot as a kid. It's a shame I didn't wind up in jail. 
but not ashamed. But it's a wonder I didn't wind up in a, I didn't wind up in jail or some juvenile facility at a young age because people was always telling on the things that I did. I was I was kind of man when I really think back I was I was kind of rotten. Like everything from shoplifting, which was way easier in the '80s. Like it just I was just I was just and all of these stories I'm, I've told my daughter. I've told her these stories because. You know, statute of limitations. Like when you're young and dumb, you try to use those as an example of what not to do. I don't think I'm ready to tell her college stories yet, though. But I'm sitting here uh, getting told on, and my mom yells up, Wayne Stephen Howard, where are you? And you better not have your brother with you. She saw me because I stuck my head out from the roof. Uh, but then... My brother, who was like 12 feet away from me on the other side, sticks his head out. And I'm like, no, you just got us both murdered. But he don't know. He's just happy to be here. So she's like, come down and all this other stuff, all kinds of obscenities and shouting and threatening me with things that she had in her hand at the time, which was probably a shoe and like another thing, a shopping cart or something like that. And so I, I kind of took my time to get down from the roof. So I go around this backside where there's like the top of the staircase. And there was like a homeless man there. We didn't have no M80s left. But we did have a handful of firecrackers. And I saw on a cartoon once them put firecrackers under a dude's toe. And it was so listen, I'm going to preface this with this. A lot of the things that I did as a kid in the 80s, I saw on cartoons. I'm not blaming them. I just wanted to see how they played out in real life. And it didn't play out the same because when that homeless man was awakened by the firecracker going off under his foot, uh, he then proceeded to chase us. So I had to run with my brother under my arm like a little brother-sized football. Now, I told you, the, the roost is close enough to where we could jump because we're 11 and 12 years old. My brother is little. He is at the time five going on six. So I had to put one foot on one roof, keep my foot on the roof we were running from and toss my little brother, maybe like four and a half feet. For a 12 year old, that's pretty far, especially if you ain't got no muscles. And in my mind, as I get older, as I got older and I started recalling the story, if I would have missed, my brother would have fell six stories in between some buildings but this was the 80s like this was the dumb stuff that we did to entertain ourselves like we stole bikes got bikes stolen you tagged up graffiti wherever you could because why not and everything was way more dangerous than you really made it out to be when you're young because you don't live in a world of consequences so I really like I look at these kids today and I listen to the stories my daughter tells me and I'm like, little girl, I really want you to know you are seriously living the best life you could possibly live. And there's nothing perilous about your life. So when like when she starts to get in her little, you know, 11 year old mode where everything is, oh, you know, it's, uh, this girl at school said this. I'm like, listen, man, you've never been chased by a homeless man and almost threw your brother off the roof. So don't even worry about all that. <laughs> yo. Yo, I'm a, no, seriously, I'm a straight up 80s baby, man. Like, I just really, I, I enjoyed how I grew up. I enjoy sharing it with young people because young people today have no concept of 
what it was like growing up during that time. And honestly, I wish I had more time to share more stories with y'all because I, I have nothing but great recollections, but y'all heard me talk long enough. Listen, y'all can catch me on all my social media, Productive Inactivity Podcast on Instagram, Productive Inactivity Podcast on Twitter, Productive Inactivity Podcast on Facebook. This has been your host, Wayne Steven, with the Productive Inactivity Podcast. Yes, sir.